I'm your host, David Nage. This is Baselayer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Baselayer podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of ARCA, where David Nage is a principal. ARCA is not responsible and does not verify for accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast series available for listening. The primary purpose of this podcast series is to educate and inform. The podcast series does not constitute financial advice or other professional advice or services. Please do your own research. This is David and this is your new episode of Baselayer. I have Scott the CEO of Candy Digital with me today. Scott, how are you? I'm doing great, David. Thanks so much for having me on. Looking forward to this conversation. Candy Digital is a next generation digital collectible company, which is launched by some very notable people, especially in the digital asset world. Uh, Michael Rubin, uh, who is the executive chairman at Fanatics, Mike Novogratz, and uh, recently also Gary Vaynerchuk, um, who is renowned, obviously, as a serial entrepreneur and investor. Um, And this is very interesting because when I started to take a look at this, when I was told that we can get you on the show, it touches near and dear to me. I am a baseball fan, if you will, a fan of the Mets since 1986. And I know Gary is a fan of the Jets. And so we share our passions for teams that are still trying to strive for greatness. Um, But I love that. One day, exactly. But I love the fact that um, the experiences that I've been able to see are quite immersive. And there's a lot of things that happens on Candy Digital that I think for those that are listening, that are trying to learn about the world of NFTs are going to be quite surprised about. Before we get into that, what we'd like to do on the show, uh, Scott, I noticed in your background, there is a different spectrum of finance and art uh, in your background. And so obviously that has por- uh, parlayed into your new role here at Candy Digital. If you could just, you know, step back, let us know kind of how you got to this role, uh, your, you know, your involvement in digital assets and NFTs and all those things. Uh, and then we'll talk about Candy Digital. Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, in uh, kind of an unusual way, I went to MIT to study nuclear physics I graduated uh, with a degree in architecture and then uh, started a career in finance. So I uh, wasn't sure uh, maybe what, what direction I wanted to head at the beginning, but um, I spent about 27 years in finance, about uh, half of that at Goldman Sachs, um, kind of running uh, big trading businesses. I left Goldman in uh, 2004 to move to the alternative asset management world, uh, again, kind of in the uh, global macro trading business uh, space. And throughout that time, really had been focused on uh, creating new businesses and new products in, in finance, always at the intersection of, um, of financial technology and, uh, and, and new tech. Um, I got introduced to blockchain uh, back in uh, 2016 at my former business partner from Fortress Investment Group founder of Galaxy Digital, Mike Novogratz, who you mentioned. Um, Mike is now one of our founding board members for Candy as well. Um, And at that time, I was really looking at uh, blockchain and distributed ledger as a disruptive technology in the world of finance, trying to get my head around what had been happening in the the ICO space. 
uh, understanding uh, Bitcoin as a store of value, and then really thinking about uh, you know, financial services operations, whether that's uh, settlement, uh, currency trading, or um, or just transaction processing, and really starting to to look at where I saw blockchain having the biggest impact. All of that really led uh, up until last year. Uh, Mike and I were having a conversation about um, you know where we saw the impact of blockchain moving outside of cryptocurrency and DeFi and into you know mass market consumer space. Uh, Galaxy uh, had been incubating uh, a couple of different sports-related businesses, and so you know, we, we looked at that segment, global customer base, passionate fan communities, and a large uh, a sports collectibles business that had really been turbocharged during the um, the pandemic lockdown, uh, and said, you know, that was a place that we felt we could lean into. And so, thinking about who the ideal partner would be in that space. Um, you know, really Fanatics, uh, which is at the top of the list. Fanatics is the largest sports retailer on the planet. Um, Michael Rubin and his team there have developed fantastic relationships with the leagues, uh, teams and athletes. And so we put a joint venture together, uh, really at the end of, of 2020, uh, to take a hard look at the, the sports, global sports collectibles business. You know, that time, uh, you know, we like to say uh, outside of the crypto community, very few people really knew how to spell NFT. Um, and then obviously, uh, you know, that changed in uh, in 2021 uh, right. with the with the Beeple auction and uh, Top Shot and, uh, you know, the the, uh, the the mass market attention to the space. That is so interesting that you touched on that. We've talked about that a lot on the show. We've talked a lot about that as a firm that it took a global pandemic to really drive people towards this new medium. Um, as you probably know very well, and others that have listened to the show, collectibles have not been new. You know, there has been collectibles, especially in sports media, collectibles, baseball cards, and such have been around for well over a hundred years. You know, the Honus Wagner card, I think went for somewhere in the range of $9 million. Um, and so, collectibles from a physical medium have been around us for a very long time. And so I'm curious to get your opinion on this. So we've gone from this world of physical to obviously the metaverse, if you will. And do you think that the real driver of that was the pandemic? Or do you think that there are other things that are happening in our society where 70% of the world population has a mobile device. Do you think that's driving us to the metaverse faster? Yeah, I think it's a couple of different things. I, you know, I, I think going back to, um, you know, my financial services experience, when we would create new financial products uh, or start to develop new marketplaces, you know, what, what we found, and I think it's the, it's true of, of really any new, new product or market is that, uh, the adoption curve is really driven by uh, familiarity and confidence. And so um, when you create something, when you introduce a, a new product or a new technology that solves a problem uh, for a, a customer in a, in a new way or presents them with a new opportunity, um, you have different folks. You have folks who are early adopters, who are risk takers, who are always willing to jump in. Um, 
you have, you know, those people often become, you know, kind of the standard bearers for the, you know, for the technology and, um, you know, and the true believers. You then have folks who are a little bit further out on the risk spectrum who start to dabble, who want to learn, who, um, you know, aren't convinced, but, but want to be early if it's going to be something real. And then you have the, the broad universe of everyone else who, you know, may be aware uh, but may may feel it's not for them or or may feel it's too risky or they've heard something that may or may not be true. And so I think, you know, what, what we saw uh, certainly with, with Bitcoin and Ethereum as, as cryptocurrencies, you know, the adoption from the traditional pools of capital in the world, the largest investors on the planet, um, was very much the same way. Um, in, uh, you know, in, in 2012, 2013, I think when the you know, the, the broader world started to, you know, to open up a little bit on, you know, what blockchain was and people started to take a look at it. It was, you know, generally written off as mysterious, uh, you know, um, something that uh, people didn't understand, institutional uh, managers of money and, and, you know, wealthy individuals were concerned about putting their capital at risk. You had things like Mt. Gox happen, which, you know, it wasn't exactly a confidence booster for the market. But, what was happening behind the scenes was that people were doing real work and they were digging in and, and trying to understand, you know, what, what was blockchain technology? What did it really mean? Was it a store of value? Was it a transaction processing network, et cetera? And ultimately, when you had voices like Mike Novogratz and, and others start to, uh, you know, who were sort of established players, start to come out and, and really tell that story about you know unique digital signatures about secure store of value about um you know being able to publicly identify ownership in a decentralized way um that that just brought more people into the space and more confidence into the space and so going back to your your question on nfts i think it's really been a similar story right in uh you know after crypto punks and crypto kitties crypto kitties was probably the first project that mass media took a bite of. And, uh, you know, you started to see some headlines, people scratch their head, why are people spending $100,000 on, on digital cats? Um, you know, and, but, the, but those projects stayed, you know, kind of largely rooted in the, in the crypto community. Over, over, you know, 2020 lockdown, I think because people really had to rethink the t- how they spent their time, you know, what was important to them, you know, where things were going to happen on the back end, uh, they were they were much more willing to think about different you know different types of assets or, or different ways to invest their money, but a lot more time to sort of read about things. And then because you had this period of time where folks were able to go up to their attics and dust off their you know their trading cards, and suddenly you know saw the value of of some of those things that they owned uh-huh. uh, you know exploding. Um, you know, that also became a, a natural bridge into the digital collectible space. So, you know, that's a really long way of saying, I think any, any new product or any new market is really about uh, confidence and, you know, and about this curve, uh, this kind of curve of people trying things out, maybe getting burned, maybe learning a little bit, getting more confidence. And then certainly when you see the sort of asymptotic price rises that we saw, not only in crypto, but in NFT prices in the beginning of 2021, that really galvanizes the media and, and gets people's attention in a in a significant way. I think that's an excellent answer to that. And it really touches on a lot of the points there. 
I want to get into Candy Digital, but you know, worth noting that the world of NFTs, especially in the last two months, uh, if anyone wanted to track the volume on OpenSea, one of the primary markets, secondary markets and primary markets in NFTs, they did roughly about $3 billion in volume last month. Now that has come down a little bit this month um, and that's natural, um, but we have seen to Scott's point, we have seen a real movement uh, here in digital collectibles and NFTs. And you know this is being proven by the volumes that you're seeing on exchanges like OpenSea. Now, I wanna get into Candy Digital. Candy is building the ecosystem for MLB collectibles uh, where fans can purchase, trade, and share officially licensed NFTs to deepen their love of the sport. Taking a look at the site, and there are different teams and different sales that are going on concurrently. I looked at my beloved Mets. I saw that was one of the first ones out there. I wish I would have known about this a few months ago. I would have obviously participated. Um, but some of these sales are pretty high. Um, some of them were going for $20,000, $35,000. So just so people know, this is not you know, a few hundred bucks here and there. There is real money that is being poured into these auctions. And what I'd love for you to talk about, Scott, if you will, is if you buy this NFT, um, one, I think people still out there who are learning about this world, and obviously I know the answer to this, but if you could express it, want to understand how this is scarce, how this you know is a one of one, if you will. How do you ensure that? And again, I know the answer to that, but if you as a founder of, you know, obviously, a, a burgeoning marketplace for NFTs could express that, that would be fantastic. Uh, so that's one question, you know, the, the scarcity factor. And obviously that is the supply and demand um, kind of factor in terms of price. And then two, if one is going to win that auction, I've noticed that there are special things that come with that potentially. You could have access to the team and to the players. You could throw out a first pitch. And so I'd love for you to kind of, give an understanding or talk through how you actually were able to get that done with the teams, uh, especially now when, you know, obviously there's so much protection um, and, you know, obviously it's not something that normally happens where you can potentially go and hang out with the team, their clubhouse or something of that nature. So one, again, the scarcity, how do you actually get there? Um, and then two, what else comes when you actually buy or you win that NFT? Sure. Let me um, let me maybe take the second one first, uh, and it really kind of goes back to to where I ended uh, originally, which was you know the beginning of the year when Bitcoin and ETH were uh, were off the charts. Uh, there was an explosion in uh, in the NBA Top Shot product. Um, you know, people were buying uh, blind packs for ten dollars, and their LeBron James dunks were worth two hundred thousand dollars, and so. There was obviously a, a tremendous amount of hype and attention in the space. And uh, given our, our initial focus here in the sporting world, we spent a lot of time with the leagues, uh, teams, and athletes, one, educating them on what the blockchain was for folks who, who hadn't spent time uh, you know, learning yet, two, uh, telling them you know, what NFTs were and what, you know, how smart contracts worked. And then three, focusing not just on the commercial opportunity, but you know what we really see as kind of the killer app in sports, which is the fan engagement opportunity. And we were pretty, uh, you know, there were a lot of folks 
kind of running around, um, you know, looking to mint an NFT, trade an NFT, buy an NFT. Uh, we were pretty vocal at the time that what we were seeing, just given kind of the front row seat that we have in the in the crypto space at Galaxy, that um, this was the bubble. Uh, you know, it was certainly exciting and it was bringing a lot of attention and, and money into the space. But that, you know, very likely, certainly by the end of the year, that the vast majority of uh, you know the items that we saw trading at at kind of crazy prices were going to be worth much less uh, later in the year. And so, you know, our message to uh, you know Major League Baseball and and to to other folks in in the sports world was that you know don't don't be blinded by crazy prices now, uh, but really focus on you know what this means as an enabling technology and how you can start to connect to fans uh, in a, in a different way how you can provide utility to those fans, how you can uh, create a personal connection at the team level, at the player level, and at the league level. And so, you know, we, we're very fortunate. Major League Baseball is probably one of the most for, uh, forward-thinking leagues in terms of utilizing technology. And, you know, you, you as you rightly put it, has a, you know, 100-year-plus history of collectibles and sort of statistic-based engagement. And so they were really interested in, in finding a partner to kind of help them uh, navigate the space and, and really start to build a, you know, longer term business as opposed to just kind of clipping a, a quick coupon in the, in the hot NFT market. So our, our approach to the space as a, as a business, certainly with Major League Baseball, but more broadly, is really to focus on officially licensed uh, intellectual property and to create authentic products through those partnerships. And so, you know, when, when, when I try to explain what NFTs are to, you know, my father-in-law or to someone who's a baseball fan, but, um, you know, not into the crypto space or, um, you know, trying to get their head around what, what digital assets are, right. you know, obviously the first question is, you know, Hey, I, I can find that picture on a Google search and uh, download it on my, on my computer. Right. And so, um, you know, what makes it unique and why should I pay a hundred dollars or a or thousand dollars for it? And so, you know, obviously, the the beauty of of blockchain and, and uh, a unique token identifier is to associate that piece of digital content with the unique ownership of a of a token uh, that is held in in, in your digital wallet, uh, and that uh, that ownership, that unique signature that you own, is then uh, you know distributed out. Uh, that the the fact of that ownership is just distributed out over the blockchain, and so can be proven uh, that you're the unique owner uh, when you decide to trade that asset. Um, you know that that's the authentic uh, ownership of that uh, one of one or that limited edition uh, mm -hmm. that can be moved to somebody else's wallet. And so, um, you know, the the analogy that I I will generally use, and and certainly I'm not the first, um, but because I come from the art world. Uh, you know, I think a lot about limited edition uh, prints, um, you know, an edition of, uh, uh, of 10 Shepard Fairey screen prints look exactly the same. They're all numbered editions. I have one hanging on my wall. You have one hanging on your wall. We can say that we both own the same piece of art, but we know physically they're, they're different objects. And so, you know, using that analogy, I create a limited edition of, of 10 digital pieces of art, but they're all associated with a unique token. Uh, on the blockchain, you and I know that we own uh, a different version of that same image. And so, you know, that, that analogy tends to. No, I think that's good. That, that, that resonates well. Um, so for those that are obviously listening, they're going to hopefully take a look. We'll tell them where to go in terms of the site. 
um, and the marketplace that you've been building. So I took a look. And so, you know, with the different teams that are out there, most of them are the ballparks right now. And as you alluded to, you have NBA Top Shot out there that, you know, those that could have participated bought LeBron James doing an epic dunk for $200,000 plus. Um, There are obviously those that are out there that besides having a favorite team, they have favorite players. So we'd love to get your sense of, are there going to be any that are specific to players? Because I saw um, that you have some for college players now, where you have very specific NFTs, very cool ones, by the way, um, for college players. What is the, the way to get professional baseball players to start having those too? Yep. So we created our first NFT uh, in July. Uh, it was uh, sort of a, a poetic first offering. It was uh, a, a unique and a limited edition uh, of Lou Gehrig's famous Luckiest Man speech. So taking a historic moment in uh, in baseball history and sort of uniting it with you know new technology and you know sort of where we see the future of sports collectibles go. That was a beautiful one. That was definitely very beautiful. Yeah, thank you. And so, you know, that was important for us for two reasons. One, it was sort of bringing the, the past and the future together. Two, as our first product, um, all of the proceeds from that those sales uh, went to ALS charities. And so, you know, the, the idea that kind of right out of the gates, um, you know, while we're a commercial venture, uh, you know, we do see opportunities in this space to, you know, to do good as well. So that was our, uh, that was our first release. We had a one-of-one auction. Uh, uh, which you know uh, went for seventy thousand dollars, raised seventy thousand dollars for charity, and then we had a series of a uh, uh, hundred uh, limited editions at, at two hundred fifty dollars each. Uh, our second offering uh, was for the Dodgers, and that was to celebrate their twenty twenty World Series championship. That was the first introduction, as you had kind of mentioned earlier, of a digital asset connected to a physical item and an experience. And so we had a uh, a one-of-one auction for uh, the digital version of the 2020 uh, championship ring. Along with that was a physical version of that World Series championship ring, and then the opportunity to throw out the first pitch at a Dodgers game. And so, you know, we're big believers uh, just broadly in the space that um, certainly the crypto community uh, and our community on Discord, which you know is growing all the time, is is driven largely by folks who are familiar with crypto have some familiarity with NFTs. And if you bring their passion for decentralized finance and, and, and cryptocurrency together with their passion for baseball, it's nirvana. They're super excited. Uh, it's a really supportive community. Uh, people uh, are constantly you know, throwing out new ideas of what they'd like to see. And so it's, it's great. That community relative to the broader universe of baseball fans is still relatively small. And so as we move from sort of the crypto savvy to you know what we'll call the digital natives, um, generally millennials and Gen Zs who uh, are already intermediating their social, their entertainment, their their commerce through a screen or a phone. Largely, um, large percent of those folks own a crypto asset or, or plan to own a crypto asset. We're kind of bringing the marketplace to them uh, in, in terms of their journey in the digital space. And then there's everybody else, all the other sports fans. Um, who may or may not have knowledge of the space, but you know, are passionate about their team, are passionate about their player. Um, one of the great advantages we have with Fanatics as a partner uh, is they have 80, 83 million customers. 
And so our ability to work with fanatics to understand who follows what sport, uh, who their team is, who the players are that they follow, and then to sort of offer products to the digital products to them that celebrate their love of sport or their passion for the team uh, is a strong one. And so we really see the path to bringing that community into the space as one that, you know, sometimes will be digital only, sometimes will marry a digital asset with a physical asset, and then sometimes uh, marry a digital asset with an, with an experience. And that experience uh, could be unlocked only when you're at the stadium. It could be an experience that's unlocked when you're at home watching the game, uh, that w- where you're starting to connect with fans and reward them for their participation in, a, in an interesting way. Right. And um, for those let, me, are, sorry, let, me, let me let me just answer your question yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, about individual players. And so, you know, those are our, those were sort of our first two products. Um, you mentioned our stadium series, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, we really wanted to do leading up to our platform launch as a way to connect with each of the thirty teams in the league. Yep. And um, you know what, what we what we find, uh, and it's not surprising, is each team has a different perspective on where they see digital assets uh, in in their uh, business, how they see connecting to their fans, their level of sort of an interest in engagement. And so um, what you'll notice in our stadium series is that the one-of-one auctions, which include those experiential elements, are all slightly different um, as each team has kind of made different decisions about how they want to approach the space. But it's been a great learning lesson for us, a great learning lesson for the teams and it's all really leading up to our player-based products, uh, which will launch next month when we kind of officially launch the Full Candy website, which will be our storefront, um, our community space, and our and our secondary marketplace. That is very exciting. Um, and I will definitely be waiting with bated breath for that one. Hopefully, I'll be able to buy a few of my favorite players on there. Um, Pete Alonzo, if you listen to my show, I know we've talked on Twitter. You should definitely get on there. <laughs> so everyone knows that Pete's my favorite player. Um, or Jacob DeGrom, of course. Um, so with that, I'm curious, the market right now, and for those that are listening, obviously from the investor side, just to give you a sense, so rare is a company out there that started as effectively, like Scott had alluded to packs of some of the players in the premier league and some of the other Serie A leagues uh, on the, on the football side, soccer side. And they effectively allowed those cards to then create a team where you would play against other players and other teams. That company just raised $680 million in their series B. Just to give you a sense, this is a said, I, I talked about the the auctions that are happening on Candy Digital, but I'm also talking about the valuations and the amount of money that's coming into this world. It is sizable. It is real. And so, so rare is just one example of that. Chili's and Socios is another example of that, where Scott had alluded to this idea of the fan experience. FCB, uh, one of the most prestigious football teams uh, in the world, where Lionel Messi played for many years, has 300 million fans around the world. And Camp Nou in Barcelona can only fit 100,000 fans per match. And so there are millions and millions of fans around the world that have no connectivity to their favorite teams. And so this is a thematic that if you're just starting to get to the world of digital assets, this is a thematic that is really on its way up. 
in my opinion. And so take a look at it. My last question, and you already alluded to, obviously, the roadmap for the next month is, you know, after next month, you start doing players. Um, is there anything else that we need to be on the lookout after players? You know, obviously, you said about a marketplace. Uh, anything else that we need to be looking out for for the next six to 12 months in your product roadmap uh, just so people can continue to monitor it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we're big believers in creating ecosystems uh, of NFTs. And so, it, it, you know, as you saw, we started out with kind of an art-based product. We're going to uh, release our player-based product next month. We'll also introduce um, uh, our video-based product. And then as we go forward, we'll have uh, sort of different styles of collectibles that have different ways of interactivity, some gamification, some personalization elements. And so, you know, for us, um, being a sports fan, uh, the fan experience, being a collector, those are really the lenses that we use as we think about designing and developing products with our with our partners. And being a collector and being a fan, from our point of view, is, is really about identity and storytelling. And so I think what you can expect for Candy uh, is to find is to see NFTs and digital collectibles that aren't just sort of digital lottery tickets. They're they're not the the ten dollar LeBron James dunk that you hope goes to a hundred thousand dollars. They're really uh, assets that engage you in different ways, help you to tell your story as a fan, uh, and share that out with uh, you know other members of your tribe, your family, your friends, other sports fans. Um, but then also connect you back directly to the player and directly to the team in terms of their performance, their achievements. And so, you know, that's what we're the most excited about is we really see NFTs as this uh, as this kind of revolutionary tool to engage those fans that you mentioned and, and really, you know, not just fans in, a, in any particular city or country, but around the world uh, in their passion for sport in a, in, in a really different and engaging way. Um, you know, the last thing I'll say is, you know, you mentioned our uh, Sweet Futures product, which is our college student athlete based product. That's really the first series of sports collectibles uh, for uh, college athletes with the changes in the NIL laws. Um, you know, we, we expect that to be a really interesting series as we start to move outside of college football into some of the other sports and, and celebrate those athletes as, athletes as they start their career. And then, um, you know, we're in conversations with uh, with other sports leagues and excited to uh, announce new partnerships here uh, in the next next few months. Amazing. Scott Lowen, CEO of Candy Digital. Thank you for joining us today on the show. Everyone check out Candy Digital. It's pretty easy. If you do a Google search and you search Candy Digital, it will pop up right away. Um, so I will hopefully catch up with you in six months. Everyone check it out. Really interesting, great stuff there. And thank you, Scott, for being on the Thanks, David. Today. Have a great day. Thanks for listening in to Baselayer. If you like the show and all the different guests that we've brought on, please give a like and subscribe on Apple or Spotify or wherever you do listen to the podcast. Also, if you want to have a conversation or reach out to me, you can reach me out on Twitter at David J. Nage. And let's talk there. Or also you can find me on LinkedIn. And I look forward to having great conversations with you all about digital assets.